everyone and welcome to Payments Insights. I'm Angina Haynes, the Editorial Director at the Payments Association. In today's episode, I am joined by Andrew Hewitt, the Director of Payment and Data Solutions at FIS. We are discussing the new payments architecture, or better known as the MPA, and specifically instant payments, the future potential and risks, as well as Andrew's own learnings from early account-to-account initiatives. Welcome, Andrew. Before we dive into the MPA, can you tell our listeners a bit about you and why this topic is important to you? Oh, yes. And hello, everyone. Um, I think this is important to me and interesting to me because I've been involved with it for a while. So back in 2017, I was part of the Payment Strategy Forum that put forward the blueprint from the MPA. Um, So I've been involved in this for a while. And my role is also to take forward the strategy for my company, FIS, um, when it comes to the MPA. So it's quite close to what I'm doing. Brilliant. So where are we with the MPA? What's the state of play at the moment? Yeah, so we're currently in a phase called self-verification testing, uh, sometimes abbreviated to SVT. And some participants and others are connecting to see how their messaging comes in and out of the system. Um, There's a regulator non-object to who's going to be chosen for the central infrastructure, which we understand will be in around August of this year. And the live date has gone back a little bit. um, But I think probably the most interesting thing that's coming uh, under MPA is this new payment type called an instant payment. Now, we understand that will be a fast follower to the first live date, um, and it will give true finality when it comes to a transaction. So rather than today where we have the concept of yes, no, or qualified accept, it will give us just a yes or a no answer, and we'll be able to use the payment for a, for a lot more use cases than we can today. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be um, a, re- a really nice uh, change. So let's talk about instant payments. How do you see this playing out and what's the potential here? Yeah, well, I think if if you think about that, I'm getting a yes or no response rather than a yes, no, or maybe. What it means is I can use it for for new things. So, for example, if I am buying something uh, which has a value which I can take away straight away, so, for example, if I'm getting currency or maybe I'm getting phone credit or something like that, or maybe I'm in Tesco's and paying for my shopping, that merchant wants to give me that thing straight away, and they need to know with absolute certainty that they've got my money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so having a yes-no response gives us that possibility. Okay, fantastic. But how can this compete against card payments? You know, what's needed in the payments market to really make that change and progress? Yeah, well, th- there are a lot more things than just having a yes-no response that, that need to fall into place for that. Um, and if we think about all of the things that, that we need, first of all, I'd start with ubiquity. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to do it like um, in the martini advert, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Um, Lovely. <laughs> now, it's great for online at the moment. So if we look at open banking in the UK today, actually that works reasonably well from a consumer experience point of view. Um, but to get true ubiquity in an account-to-account-based uh, payment, it needs to move into the physical world, into the physical point of sale. Um, I also believe that although open banking is doing well, uh, the user experience could be more homogeneous across all of the different brands. So at the moment, especially during secure customer authentication journeys, they can be a little bit variable. 
um, with different uh, ASPSPs. So, mm-hmm. and, and I think we see that there is more rigour coming to that and more standardisation, which will, again, give this ubiquity of use. Um, there are a few other things that they need. It sounds like a laundry list, right, <laughs> that, we're, that we're coming up with here. Um, it's an important one. It is an important one because um, just having a yes-no response is only one thing. My, my personal belief is that they also need a consumer-facing brand or paymark mm-hmm. um, so that customers can easily identify where they can pay in this way. And that also signposts that that's the kind of experience they're going to get. Mm-hmm. So if we look to the card schemes, they're, they're past masters at this. They have you know great brands. You walk into a store, you see the brand. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, whether you speak the language or not, you know you can pay in that way first of all. And second of all, you've been educated as to what the experience is going to be, which might be a tap sure. or it might be a chip and pin, it might be a chip and signature. Mm-hmm. So we need to do the same thing for account to account to bring that kind of ubiquity. Um, I guess there are some other things around that. Sorry, the, going through this list, it gets longer <laughs> and longer. I do think it can happen, by the way. I'm optimistic about it, it, it being able to happen in the future, but I do think there's some things that need to change. Um, another another point I think is education. So, it, educating consumers that this is an okay way to pay and what the benefits are to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming on to that, I think there do need to be benefits for um, users at both ends of the transaction. So not just the consumer, but also for the merchant. Sure. I think my guess in the consumer um, world is that actually it may be that under MPA we could attach more information with the transaction. So maybe you could get your warranty um, along with the transaction, or maybe you could get your receipt if we're in a physical world, uh, and that could travel with the transaction. Um, For the merchant, the merchant will always want everything to be cheaper. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Um, No fees. (laughs) Indeed. Um, uh, I I think, you know, realistically on this, what we need is a commercial model that's sensible, a sensible commercial model. Um, In my mind, um, account-to-account payments are analogous to a debit card transaction. If we think about it's coming out of the same accounts and it's used for the same kind of things, I don't see it as being in competition with credit card because I think people okay. use that for a different thing they, because they need credit, A or B, because they like Section 75 protection. Mm-hmm. So it has to be analogous to debit and at least as good or better commercially. Uh, and then you'll truly get a ubiquity of consumers who can use it and also merchants who want to accept it. Um, I'm going to add more to the list now. Um, I feel that when when we look at how you use it, it also has to be as good as what we've got today. Mm-hmm. And actually payments have come quite a long way recently. So you know, mobile payments especially, I can pay using Apple Pay or Google Pay quite easily, um, double clicking on the side and then just looking at my phone or thumbprinting or however you do your verification with your particular device and then just tapping the phone on the point of sale. Now, ideally, we would make something for account-to-account payments that was at least as good as that from a consumer experience point of view because I don't Mm -hmm. really want my life as a consumer to be more difficult. Um, So if we could get into the and, and use the secure element in the phones to put some kind of token that represented me and my account, um, that would be really useful. Now, you can do that in a Google Android type handset and have been able to for years. Um, Unfortunately, we still can't do that with an Apple handset. However, um, 
the European regulator for competition are currently taking Apple to task on this, and we await the outcome of that. Um, I think I've been awaiting the outcome of that for 10 years or so. I was going to say it's been years, and we could be waiting yeah. a very long time so still. We might, be, um, we might be waiting for a while. But um, that does kind of raise the question around sort of safety and security, you know, and building trust in this structure. Mm. You know, things like credit cards, like you mentioned Section 75, you know, people use that because of that reason quite often. Um, and so how would you go about building trust in this structure and, you know, really, you know, going from that education to actual use? Yeah. So I think trust comes in a, in a few different ways. So first of all, I think brand is important for trust. So you know Visa and you know MasterCard. Um, you, you understand that brand and what that means to you. And so I think you need a brand that you can trust, first of all. Um, second of all, I think consumer protection is really important. And I know there's work in the industry going on at the moment um, and there will be some protection um, consultation coming out soon. So I expect that that will come along. Um, but, you know, consumers need to know that when something goes wrong, that it's going to be okay. We only really notice payments when they don't work. Absolutely. So when they work, it's it's like you know, brilliant. It's like running water. You just expect it to be there and it, it to work well. And when it doesn't, you really notice it. So it will be really important for the consumer protections to to be in place and and well thought through. Mm-hmm. However, I I now need to kind of caveat that uh, around, but it also needs to not impair the user journey too much. It needs to have the Give yes. the right amount of friction. So what is the right amount of friction? Well, um, I don't want to give a blood sample to pay for a coffee. Um, <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> that, that, would be, that would be crazy. Um, but, you know, what if I'm buying a house, then I, I might be okay with mm-hmm. that. Or, or something, you know, yeah. a bit more secure. Um, I also kind of think that protections don't necessarily have to be on every single transaction. So it might be that some transactions I don't need to protect. Well, let's think about some models that are out there today. So if I look to PayPal, Mm -hmm. um, I can PayPal you some money and I can send it to your friends and family. Now, I know you, you, so I know that I can send you the £10 because we had a coffee or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. and I'm happy to send you that as friends and family. But if I'm buying something from Facebook Marketplace, for example, maybe car parts or yeah. whatever it might be, and two hundred pounds to someone I've never met or heard of, um, when I go into PayPal, I might be um, considering selecting the uh, goods and services option, and I'll mm-hmm. pay a premium as a customer for that. But what it does mean is when they don't turn up, you're protected, uncovered. Mm-hmm. So. I'd, I think that model could potentially work um, in some use cases for for account-to-account payments um, over the top of MPA. I do wonder, though, I mean, you mentioned the PayPal example there. If the customer then has to pay a premium for that protection mm. every time they make a transaction, don't you think it'll put them off? Well, I think in some, in some cases it, it may do. Um, we have the concept in this country of free banking. Mm-hmm. And it's not really free, is it? It's someone you know, pays. Yeah, someone pays for it uh, in one way or another. So I'd say it's just being more transparent about about that. Um, now, in some use cases, it doesn't work. So if I'm if I'm going to Tesco's and I'm you know we've we've solved all of the other problems mm-hmm. and I'm tapping my phone to make an account to account payment from my account mm-hmm. to Apple's account, uh, sorry to Tesco's account or their account at 
they're a choir, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want any friction, and I don't. I do want some protection as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can decide that on the basis of the transaction type in that case. So the data and the activity that I'm taking can also dictate it. So I think where a con- customer is making a choice to buy something in a one-off scenario, mm-hmm. maybe from a marketplace, then I think giving them the option of, as PayPal does, I think works. I think when you get into true physical points of sale for things like your grocery shopping, mm-hmm. um, then it should be based on the transaction type. And in that case, you do want protecting. Mm. And may, hopefully AI will feature in this long term when, you know, you can identify behaviours. That would be really interesting um, to, you know, facilitate that less friction in, in the payment structure. Um, but I want to go back to um, Apple Pay just slightly. So um, you said you faced challenges with Apple Pay, especially a decade ago when you worked on Zap. Um, tell us a bit about Zap and what you learned from that experience. Yes, well, that was, goodness, 10 years ago now. So this was um, before um, Apple or Google Pay existed. Um, When I was working at Vocalink, we were set the task of creating, um, the vision was a faster payment from your mobile phone to to someone. So mobile payments using faster payments. Um, And the model that we came up with involved putting some code in every single banking app to to allow zap payments as we then we then branded them to be made so I could zap money to you or I could zap money to Tesco's or or any other retailer um we couldn't get um we couldn't get things into the secure element of the phone which you actually still can't do so no. <laughs> it kind of restricted some of the point of sale journeys to being a little bit clunky right. um we also didn't have open banking then so we needed to go into every single banking app, sign up all of the banks and get them to do something. And then the banks would ask, well, which of the retailers have you signed up or which of the acquirers have you mm-hmm. signed up? So it's a bit chicken and egg is how do you build a two-sided model with with starting from zero? And I think the answer is probably actually open banking because all of the banks, well, the banks generally do things that they're told to do. And those kind of initiatives tend to be successful or at least more successful than than ones that are, that are not mandatory. Mm-hmm. So open banking was mandated to the CMA nine, and you know now much more broadly. Mm-hmm. And pretty much, you can get very high ninety percent coverage. You know ninety nine point X percent coverage of bank accounts using open banking. So actually, that ubiquity side on the on the consumer side is taken care of now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like. If, if Zap had gone again probably three years later than it did and open banking had existed, um, maybe that company could have become a PIS and taken this this brand, taken the rules, because actually there were a load of rules that um, that were set up. So it's almost like a little scheme. Um, there was the technology, there was the scheme, uh, and there was the, the kind of the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, uh, it, it, it was very much about about that that brand. Uh, for, for me, and I think the fact I can say, "Let me zap it," you know, and use it as a verb is quite nice. I know mm-hmm. Barclays tried it with Pingits as well. Let me. Yeah, I remember that vaguely. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, well, I think hopefully, if the Apple Pay stuff gets sorted, then then not be um, even more further progress in you know making this much better for uh, for the customer. Um, and, and 
just I just wonder sort of what's next on the horizon you know there's so much to consider with the progress of the NPA I, I know things have been delayed there but we know we're starting to see progress this year how do you think the next five years will pan out yeah so if I get my crystal ball out for a for a second um first of all I'm I'm going to guess that a variable recurring payments for non-sweeping use cases will be allowed mm-hmm. uh, and I think that will open up open banking in a few ways. Um, so if you imagine that the case at the moment, I can only um, give permission for money to go from my account to my account at a different bank. Yes. Um, but imagine if you expand that list and you know, an allowed list of, of people I can send it to. Well, would I be happy to have Amazon on my allowed list? Well, yes, I just bought some bin liners when I was sat in the reception because I needed some. <laughs> I need them tomorrow because we've run out. Um, would I be happy to have... Netflix on there. Yes, I would. So I can see um, variable recurring payments being used for, um, well, for variable recurring payments, right? Mm-hmm. And and also little little payments for things that I need to trusted retailers. I can see that happening. Um, if I think more broadly about it, I can also see um, clever fintechs, much much cleverer than I am, um, using that same structure for for other um, points of sale transactions. Um, so imagine if you linked something like that to uh, a large retailer who had uh, a loyalty scheme, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that starting to make its way into uh, the physical point of sale. But what what I would say is let's let's try and let's do that, but let's try and get a brand around it so that um, it, we have full ubiquity for everyone, uh, rather than kind of little tactical things here and there. So I I, I hope that the industry is able to come around. A brand and a way of doing this that that allows it to be broader than just a, a few big retailers doing sure. it. Um, other things that might happen in the next five years. Well, I certainly hope that the MPA will be delivered. <laughs> I think I think the whole industry can agree with you there. <laughs> yeah, and I say that slightly tongue in cheek, but we have had um, a few delays. Um, I, I hope that backs under MPA as well. We, we realise a, a vision for that and a way of doing that because you know. For me, the vision for MPA was, yes, faster payments, but it was actually BAX as well. And actually mm-hmm. BAX is potentially the bigger problem child or, or the one that is, you know, I think it's 55 years old this year, is that something like wow. that. So it's it's been around a little while um, and, you know, could really use some additional data going with it. Um, so, so I hope we can find a good solution for that as an industry. Um, other things that might happen... Uh, well, we, we probably have to say CBDC, don't we? Um, <laughs> Absolutely, but, you can't but, ignore that topic. But, but how does it? How will it relate to payments, or how does it? Well, I, yeah, I, I think probably that's long. That might be longer than five years. Although there might be something we might have Britcoin, if you will, mm-hmm. um, before before that time horizon. But I think it will still be thinking about it and seeing what other markets have done. Um, what else? Well, those are, that's a few ideas. Well, that, that's quite a few, you know. That's quite a good crystal ball, I must say. I have to ask, though, on the VRP side, yes. I mean, there's often the debate about, you know, what will win out? Would it be VRPs or direct debits? What do you think? Uh, I think um, I think both will probably end up being... We, in this country, we struggle to turn off any type of payment. Mm-hmm. So we, we tried as an industry to turn checks off about... might be, might be 10 years ago... Um, and that didn't go very well. I think 
mainly due, due to communication of, mm-hmm. of that messaging and also um, showing that we're, there were viable and better alternatives for people who habitually use checks. Um, so, you know, we certainly can't just turn off direct debits. There are, there are a large proportion of, of the country who use them um, both on both sides. Absolutely. Right. And they're a very good proposition for some mm-hmm. people. They're also not a great proposition for other people. Right. So um, if you look at people who are on a lower income, they don't want money to be a variable amount of money to be taken out of their account Very true. Um, at, at a point in time. They, they actually probably want to be able to pay right at the last minute um, and be in control of that. And actually VRP possibly works better in that situation. So I think the two probably have to coexist. Yeah, I think you might be right there. I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Well, thank you, Andrew, for all your insights. That's been wonderful. Thanks, listeners. Uh, Join us again soon for the next episode of Payments Insights. To access more podcasts, videos and articles, go to thepaymentsassociation.org.